All right. Good to see you, everybody. All right. Now, today, we're going to be preaching the book of Philemon. So, this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote to Philemon concerning another man named Onesimus. So, Philemon and Onesimus. So, I need two people. Uh, Can you stand up right here? Would you mind? And I need somebody else uh, to stand. You want to stand here? All right. So you two are going to be, you're going to be Philemon, and you're going to be Onesimus. All right? So these are two people that we're going to hear about in this letter that Paul wrote. Now, before this letter was written, Onesimus was Philemon's slave. Good question. What's a slave? A slave is a person who is owned by somebody else and who does work for that person. So Philemon owned Onesimus, owned that person, and Onesimus had to do work for Philemon. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, he's up for that one. I thought so. All right. Now, the other thing that was going on here is Onesimus was not a believer. He, it's a, it's a he, even though we have a she holding it. He wasn't a believer. He wasn't a follower of Christ. Philemon was, but Onesimus was not. So from the letter, it appears that at some point, Onesimus ran away from Philemon. So Onesimus, we need you to run away over there. There goes Onesimus, running away. Good running. You can stay right there. Way to go. All right? So Onesimus ran away. But while Onesimus was away, something spectacular happened. Something really great happened to Onesimus. Onesimus heard the gospel. He heard the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection for sin and heard that he could be saved by faith. And so Onesimus came to faith in Christ while he was away from Philemon. Now, when somebody comes to faith in Christ, they have a new identity. There are things about them that are now true that weren't true before. New identity means there are things that are true about them now, who they are, And these things weren't true before. Our identity is who we are. And so some of those things that became true of Onesimus is uh, he was a new spiritual creation now. He was now a child of God. His sin had been forgiven. He was now part of the church, the body of Christ. And many, many other things are included there. So when Onesimus came to faith, these things became true of him. Now Paul is writing this letter to Philemon, because Onesimus is coming back to Philemon. So being us, we need you to come back to Philemon. That could be kind of scary after being a slave who ran away, right? But he's coming back. So Paul is letting Philemon know that Onesimus is now a follower of Jesus and that he has a new identity, these new things that are true about him. And so Paul encourages Philemon to take Onesimus back and not treat him like a slave, and to punish him for running away, but to treat him like a brother in Christ, because that's what he now is. And so because Philemon and Onesimus are now both Christians, they're both people following Jesus, they now should treat each other with love and kindness and forgiveness, right? Forgiving the sin that they have against one another. And so when we come to faith in Jesus, we too have a new identity. We have new things that define us, that are true about us. When we come to faith in God, we are now children of God. 
We're part of the same spiritual family as one another, and we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So look at the people around you. These are brothers and sisters. Yeah. Brothers and sisters. All right. So these things should affect how we interact with each other. You two are brothers already, right? Yeah. So these things should affect how we interact with each other and how we relate to each other. Yeah. All right. So now we should treat each other, everyone else, with kindness and love. We should forgive the sin that we have against one another because we're now brothers and sisters. We're, we have new identity. We're together in the church, in the body of Christ. So let's be thoughtful of who we are when we come to faith in Christ, and let's treat each other that way appropriately because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. All right? So thanks for coming up, everybody. You can go back and have a seat. All right. Thank you, Pastor Jeff. As he said, we are in the book of Philemon. Uh, So if you would turn with me there, the book of Philemon is in the back of your Bible in the New Testament. Over the next uh, four weeks, God willing, we are going to preach through these books of the Bible that are kind of the forgotten letters. That is on page... um, 1,000, 1,000 in the Bibles in the seat in front of you. I am calling this series the Hobbit series, the Hobbit letters. Hobbits are remarkable. They're tiny, but there's a lot to them. They seem insignificant, and yet in Tolkien's world of Middle Earth, the Middle Earth was radically different just because of them. And so over the next four weeks, we'll preach through these smaller Hobbit books of the Bible, Philemon, 2nd and 3rd John, and Jude. They're Hobbit-like, especially Philemon. They're short, chapter in length. They're overlooked. We don't often go to them as much as you might, let's say, like Romans. Um, I, I, I don't think I've ever been in a church that has preached to them or did a Bible study on them even. Um, but as I said, especially Philemon, so I'm the same because of them, this book in particular. Um, and so I thought it'd be enjoyable. And some of you have lovingly complained to me that I start books and don't finish them. So I'm going to finish four books in the next four Sundays, God willing. Uh, (laughs) I showed you. Um, all right. Uh, Fellowship of the Ring. If you're familiar with the Lord of the Rings trilogy, not the movie so much as the books, the first of the Fellowship of the Ring are nine individuals who previously had not really joined together, known each other, been associated, they joined together in a fellowship aimed at saving the world. They have to destroy the ring of power. That idea of fellowship is central to this book. The nine who come together in that book, Frodo, Sam, Gandalf, Aragorn, and others, are joined together and take on such a common identity that they become willing to give their lives for the others, and some do. They identify with each other. They have a a common, united fellowship there for each other. That's what Philemon is all about. The argument in this book that is the reason why slavery ended wherever Christianity flourished is this common identity that we have in Christ. 
The term fellowship, we'll see in, in a moment, is used in verse 6. It's typically not in our English translation, but in the Greek koinonia, it's there. It's a Christian term that we, that we use typically just to mean Christians who hang out together. Right? If you have two non-Christians and coffee and a donut, it's not fellowship. But if you have two Christians and coffee and a donut, it's fellowship. Uh, and that's true. But fellowship in Scripture is a much more meaningful deep term than that. Uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. It has to do with why um, you care so much about what happens to your favorite sports teams. Right? You probably don't know any individuals personally on your favorite sports teams. They could be playing several time zones away, but what happens to them is happening to you. You get up and yell at the TV. Um, or you might, let's say, Move, you're born and raised in Wisconsin and you move south, but you move south and you boast about the winters up here. Why? Because they're ours. Because they're ours. Because it's my identity. It's, it's who I am. It's where I'm from. And it's this biblical idea of fellowship or identification that is essential theme in Philemon, as I said, it's really changed the world, particularly in relation to slavery. I'm going to read this uh, 25 verses, pray, I want to explain a bit about the letter and then talk about that idea of identification. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Actually, I think the better reading there is of Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul is trying to relate to to Onesimus, who's a slave of Philemon. So Paul is saying here, I'm a slave too. More on that in a moment. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our fellow brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also of Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment of the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant or as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would have received me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. 
Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously delivered to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Holy Lord, there is only life in your eternal word. Please come now by your spirit and teach us your statutes. We are weak and weary in this world and our sin because of the devil. Please give us grace and strengthen us according to your word. Enlarge our hearts that we might cling to your testimonies, O Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. A bit about the letter. Paul wrote this letter around 55 AD uh, to a dear friend that Paul had once led to the Lord, Philemon. So Paul is responsible uh, on the human side for Philemon coming to faith in Christ. Uh, Philemon leads a church in his home. We see that in verse 2. And so Philemon is a, is a church leader likely, elder, uh, maybe some kind of a pastor. Uh, he, Paul also addresses the letter to Aphia. Uh, most think that that's probably Philemon's wife. Archippus, uh, most think is Philemon's son. Uh, it is likely that Philemon and this church was in the city of Colossae. Um, later on, we read of Epaphras, Paul's fellow prisoner. Paul's writing this from Ephesus. Um, Epaphras, we know, is from Colossians. We or from Colossae. We read that in Colossians 4.12. So they're likely from Colossae. That will be important in a moment. All right. Onesimus is the reason Paul wrote the letter. Onesimus, as Pastor Jeff said, was... Uh, Philemon's slave, he ran away. Uh, it's likely he stole something. That's why you read at the end, if he owes you anything, if he has wronged you, Paul is aware that Phi, uh, Onesimus likely stole something. So he's a runaway thief uh, slave. Um, he, it seems like Paul's imprisoned. Uh, a runaway slave wouldn't uh, meet him, except he's probably seeking Paul out. Uh, Philemon, I'm sorry, Onesimus maybe is aware of his guilt or whatever. He seeks Paul out because he knows Paul's and Philemon's relationship and he wants some help. And so Onesimus sought Paul out and in doing so, Paul preaching the gospel to him, he became a Christian. Okay? So Onesimus is converted to Christ and Paul is now returning Onesimus to Philemon which really messes with us in regards to slavery. So Paul is returning the slave to his master, fully aware that the master may desire to keep him enslaved. Uh, it is likely that Onesimus is carrying this very letter with him to Paul, or to his slave master, to Philemon. It's something. In a book that we use for homeschooling uh, titled Omnibus, they have an overview of this letter and it contains an interesting bit of history in relation to Philemon Onesimus. About 50 years or so after Paul wrote this letter to Philemon, um, an early church father named Ignatius wrote a letter to the bishop or kind of the leading pastor of the churches in Ephesus. If you remember, that's where Paul is imprisoned, writing this letter from. And he, he writes the letter to a bishop whose name is Onesimus, okay? 
Cool. Runaway slave turned church bishop, pastor, leader. Now, you can't be dogmatic about it. We don't know for certain. But Onesimus isn't a common name. And same city, same place he was converted, same place that likely Philemon returned him to. I think that's just like our God, isn't it? That's what God does. Okay, so that's the book. So Philemon was written concerning a slave. So let's talk about slavery a moment. Um, Slavery isn't an exception in the history of the world. It's the rule. This is sometimes something we don't understand. We think slavery is just something the Western white world did to black Africans. It's not true. Every place, every people, every color, every culture enslaves everybody. Even in the Western world, as white Westerners are taking blacks, there was blacks in Africa who were taking their own and selling them to us and at the same time crossing the Mediterranean and, and taking captive white Europeans and enslaving them in Africa, okay? Slavery is just absolutely prevalent everywhere in the history of the world. It's just completely normal. Um, obviously, it's true of this time in the world as well. This kind of slavery in kind of the ancient pagan world was completely awful. Slaves were treated terribly. Um, we don't know the kind of slave owner Philemon was, but slaves had no legal rights, no right to marry, uh, executed really basically for any trivial cause. Philemon had every legal right to execute Onesimus, torture him, whatever. It was absolutely awful. Um, when we read about slavery throughout the New Testament, so if you can put yourself in this place, Christ dies and rises, the gospel is spreading, and so now the church leaders are going to have to interact with things that in of themselves are evil and wicked. Not in of themselves are evil and wicked, but the way they're done are evil and wicked. And how are they going to do it? And the New Testament doesn't end slavery, but legislates it under the command to love your neighbor. So in the very letter written to the very city where Philemon likely lives, Colossae, the Paul writes, Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you yourself have a master in heaven. And so the Bible doesn't name slavery itself morally evil, but how masters treat their slaves could be morally evil. And so you have, as a Christian, to wrestle with, you have the Apostle Paul sending a slave back to his master for enslavement. Wants his freedom, but he knows... Um, justice, and he is acting justly in this case. Uh, So Paul's letter to Philemon isn't itself about slavery, but it is the prime example in the Bible of how the gospel applies to it. How does the gospel of Jesus Christ, how does the word of God go about ending something like slavery? How should we as Christians interact with moral evils in our world? This letter is probably the best example we have in the Bible of how to do this. How to act Christian in a pagan world. How to think and write and act towards things like this. At the heart 
of Paul's application of the gospel to slavery is fellowship. Again, by fellowship, I'm not talking about Christians hanging out. We're talking about our mutual, deep, real identification with each other that changes how we relate to others, changes how slaves relate to masters, changes how husbands relate to wives and wives to husbands, changes how workers relate to bosses, it changes how we relate to the government. It, it becomes the core of who we are, and it changes how we view everything, especially relationships. I haven't read the book I'm about to reference myself, not, not Philemon, another book. I've read Philemon a few times. Um, during my research on this book, I heard of another book written by a Harvard professor of sociology, himself a descendant of slaves, who decided to research the entire history of the world regarding slavery. Orlando Patterson is the professor's name. The book is called Freedom in the Making of Western Culture. Um, it's, it's regarded as one of the best and most important books about the history of slavery. What he found is what I said earlier, that slavery is absolutely ubiquitous in the history of the world. It's just normal. Everywhere he researches, slavery is a thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what culture. It doesn't matter what race. Everybody's enslaving everybody. Um, but this non-Christian, Marxist, hist- or sociology professor, what he also discovered is that the only cultures that consistently ended slavery were cultures where Christianity took the deepest root. <laughs> and he writes this. It's historical. Western cultures where the gospel becomes the dominant worldview end up ending slavery by and large. Right. He doesn't know why. We know why. Philemon will tell us why. Okay? What we'll see in Philemon, this idea of identification, of fellowship, is the reason why wherever the gospel takes hold, things like slavery end up going away. This little book, I don't think it would be overstating to say is the reason why slavery has ended in the West. This little book. It's a big deal. It's a, it's a hobbit. So let's talk about this identification in this book. Paul writes to his friend, his brother, his son in the Lord, Philemon, to convince him to appeal to him to forgive Onesimus, grant Onesimus' freedom so Onesimus could return and be a co-worker with Paul. That's why this letter is written. And at the heart of Paul's argument of his appeal is this idea of mutual identification with each other in Christ. So as I said, the the place that you see this term used is in verse 6. And I pray that the sharing, that word sharing in Greek is koinonia, um, and the way that it reads in this version that we're using, I pray the sharing of your faith may become effective. It makes you think probably of evangelism. But Paul isn't here talking about evangelism a bit. He's not talking about evangelism. Koinonia means our communion with each other, our intimate union, our mutual feelings for each other, our participation in each other, our our identification with each other. The term has to, be with, has to do with us being one in Christ and so one with each other. 
The best illustration of this term is the term brother. A few years back, a miniseries came out titled Band of Brothers. You guys watch that? I watched it several times over. It's excellent. It's really enjoyable. Uh, It follows uh, an American paratrooper infantry regiment, Easy Company, from training through the defeat of Nazi Germany. These men, a part of Easy Company, didn't know each other at all before training. They came from all different parts of the U.S., and they came together, and they trained together, and they slept together, and they ate together, and they fought together, and they went through the hells of war together. They were brothers. They had fellowship. They had koinonia. That's what this term gets at. It's what you get when you have this identification with each other that transcends all everything else. It binds you together in an unbreakable fashion. That's what's at the heart of this letter. And what Paul is going to do in this letter is he's going to explain to Philemon his mutual identification with Philemon. So Paul is going to say, I'm one with you as a slave owner. We'll see that. And then Paul is going to turn and say to Philemon, and I'm one with Onesimus, a slave. And Philemon, you and Onesimus now are one. And Paul is going to base his argument, urging Philemon to do the right thing, forgive and grant him Onesimus his freedom because of this koinonia, this fellowship, this mutual identification. So first, Paul identifies himself in the truest and deepest and warmest of ways with Philemon. Okay, so let me just put this in our context. Picture Philemon, a wealthy, white, very conservative Republican slave owner. Right? <laughs> he, you don't identify with people like that in our world anymore. Right? That... That's who, what Paul is doing. First, you see right in verse 1, Paul calls Philemon beloved. Philemon, you are beloved to me. This is father-son language. Philemon, you are my fellow worker, my equal. He's identifying with Philemon in the most significant of ways. He prays for Philemon. That God's grace and peace might be his. He thanks Philemon in verse 4. I thank my God always for you. He's so intimate with Philemon. Verse 7, Paul has derived much joy and comfort from Philemon's love because the saints whom Paul loves, Philemon is loved. See, Paul is showing this very deep, intimate connection with him. Skip down to verse 17. Paul urges Philemon to remember their partnership. If you consider me your partner, they're partners. Verse 19, Paul reminds Philemon that Philemon owes him his very self. That's how intimate these, the connection, the identification of these two is together. Now, if, if we just take our world's view of Philemon, Philemon should be hated. He's the unforgivable. He's wealthy. He has slaves. He's a Christian. And here is Paul saying, I am completely 100% for you. You're mine. I'm yours. We're brothers. Fellowship. Identification. 
And brothers and sisters, this is what we have together in Christ. What Paul is describing in his connection, his identification with Philemon is just true because of Christ with us, each other. This is why the New Testament over and over and over and over again rebukes us for our lack of treating each other in accordance with it. Why consistently, especially in the second half of letters in the New Testament, we'll, we'll have these applications of the gospel to our relation with each other to cause us to quit fighting, to quit gossiping, to quit slandering, for husbands to treat their wives better, to wives respect and submit to their husbands because of our mutual identification in Christ. This is the whole point of this letter. Paul wants to convince Philemon to do the right thing in regards to Onesimus, not commanding him what to do because of what they are together in Christ, what he and Paul are together in Christ. And as you look around at each other, this is what we are together. This is the most fundamental reality in the world. This is why Jesus says, you cannot come to me unless you hate your mother, your brother, your father, your sister. What he's saying is your connection to me and your connection to your brothers and sister in Christ are more important to any other identification you have in this world. This is what Paul is saying to Philemon. I am for you, brother. I got your back, brother. Whatever happens to you happens to me because we're one. Paul doesn't stop there. Paul next identifies that closely with Onesimus. How Paul identifies in this letter to Onesimus, you're going to like this. You're going to get tingles. How Paul writes, goosebumps. It's, it's something here. Like Philemon, Paul has led Onesimus to the Lord, right? So Paul says to Philemon, I led you to the Lord, and I've led him to the Lord. We're, we're so connected. Verse 10, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. See that connection, that identification. I'm his father. I became his father. Paul declares to Philemon that Onesimus in verse 11 is his very heart. Or verse 12, excuse me. I'm sending you my very heart. See that identification? See that? It takes faith to believe that about each other, doesn't it? Paul's identification with Onesimus couldn't be strong. He calls Onesimus in verse 16 his beloved, his beloved and his brother. He's my beloved brother. Remember, he just said that to Philemon, now to Onesimus. Slave master, identification, equal. Paul doesn't back away from a rich slave owner, Christian, and neither does he back away from a runaway thief slave. Paul's identification, though, goes deeper with Onesimus. It's more subtle in this letter. Look how Paul begins the letter. How does he begin it? Paul, a prisoner. Now, remember that word for... The Greek there is better translated of. It's really not that big of a deal, but it's subtle. I'm Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. How does he conclude the letter? Epaphras, my fellow prisoner. Who is Paul identifying with? Slaves. To who? The slave owner. I have a master. His name is Jesus. I'm his slave. You're a master of a slave. I want you to treat him like I'm treated by my master. See how Paul's identifying with him? Would you identify with a slave? Would you do this? This is, this is awesome. Paul's in chains. He, he tells him not only is he a slave of Jesus, he's actually in chains. 
verse 10. I'm imprisoned. I'm enslaved. I am Onesimus. Treat Onesimus as you would me because we're together. I'm with him in spirit and in flesh. See the identification? This is what the gospel does. You can identify in the most intimate, meaningful way with people that this world hates and abhors and despises. This is why Christians, wherever they go, work in slums. No other religion goes and works in slums. No other government organization does what Christians do. Why? Because our Savior took on flesh and became a slave. There's no lower than us. We'll identify with everybody. But it gets even better. Hold that. One other thing there. So Paul's in shackles. He says this in verse 1. At the end, he again speaks of a prisoner. And then he says in verse 22, you got to think here a little bit. Philemon, I know you're praying for me for my release from my enslavement. I know you're praying for me. Prepare a room. Okay. Philemon is praying for Paul's freedom. See the implication, right? If you're praying that for me, what about O? What about Onesimus? This is what the gospel does. It helps you be a more consistent person. You're praying for my freedom. See, Paul's argument here is, he just piles it on. I heard some of you chuckling as I was reading it. Like, you could learn here how to get your children to do anything from this letter. Like, Paul just spreads it thick. Grant Onesimus' freedom just like you're praying for mine. Why? Because I identify with him. You can't do something for me that you wouldn't do for him because you'd be wronging me if you don't do it for him. Now, all of this mutual identification bonds is true because of Christ. So you can take this home and apply it to your marriage, right? Your spouse, your husband, your wife isn't first your husband, your wife in Christ, first your brother or sister. You should treat each other according to that identification. That's why divorce is so abhorrent. You can take this home and apply it, but let, let me drive this home in, in one other way, this is really incredible. All right, look at verses 10 and 11. Um, Onesimus' name, the name Onesimus was often given to slaves. It was a pejorative nickname. It was a mocking name. It means useful. Okay? So you, you gave the, name, the slave name useful, as in, hey, useful, go do this. It was a joke. It was a mockery, okay? So Paul says, I appeal to you for my child, useful. Then in verse 11, formerly he was useless. Useful was useless. But now in Christ, useful has truly become useful. So Paul is doing something here that would be kind of shocking to them. Old useful has actually become useful. He takes the slave mocking name and plays a twist on it. He, 
is subtly trying to say that he was actually useless to you before. He's run away, he's taken something. Now he's in Christ completely. He's, he's actually his name now. And then in verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you also. I want some Onesimus from you, Philemon. I want some usefulness from you, Philemon. This wouldn't have been lost on Philemon. Paul was saying, Onesimus was useless, now he's useful. And by the way, I want you to be useful, like useful. He's he's calling Philemon by Onesimus' name. The name in the Greek for um, these terms is C-R-E-I-S-T-O-S, Christus. So useful, Christus. What does that sound like to you? Christ. Onesimus is Christ. Treat him like it. He's useful. Christ is useful. Onesimus is useful. You do the right thing, Paul. Or Philemon. It's, it's, it, it's seeing individuals in Christ so bound up together that their names, when pronounced, are the same. That's how Paul is seeing them in Christ. That's how we're to see each other in Christ. That's how we're supposed to see each other in Christ. That's why sin against each other is so spoken of in the Bible so horribly. We're supposed to grow in brotherly affection for each other. That's why Paul, when he's writing to churches that are undermining him and stabbing him in the back, it hurts so much. And he'll just plead with them, don't cause me any more pain like this because of their identification with each other. So that's what Paul's doing. That's what's going on in this letter. That's how slavery ends in this world, by us realizing who we are in Christ. Our names sound the same. That's how deep this is. Let me close with verse 15. I think this is really helpful. For this is perhaps, perhaps, Paul is doing some thinking for Philemon. Philemon's, okay, so why would God take Onesimus from me? And Paul's going to answer it for him. For this is perhaps why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother. The perhaps here, as Doug Wilson says, doesn't indicate that Paul is unsure if God will use this for good. God works all the things for the good. But Paul isn't sure yet which good will come of it. And the good that Paul is looking to come of this is Philemon granting Onesimus his freedom. Philemon letting Onesimus go. Philemon has ownership of Onesimus. He's got a grip on him. Paul wants the good to come, perhaps the good to come of of Philemon letting him go so that he can have him back in even a more meaningful way. Now, likely, Philemon did grant Onesimus his freedom. We have this letter in the New Testament. It isn't likely that Philemon would have allowed this to be circulated if he didn't. And Onesimus, as we said in the beginning's name. But, but let me just think about that. God takes something from Philemon that was precious, and Philemon got something back even better. You see that? God took Onesimus something valuable and important 
that Philemon owned that he had a grip on and, and, and got him back. And now Paul is urging him to do it again, this time of his own free will. What in your life do you need to do that with? Huh? What in your life has God taken that you need to see the good that God will be returning to you? Or what in your life do you need to give up, let go to God? I'm not talking here about kind of the cheap things, about some kind of food or drink. I'm talking about meaningful things, the control you think you have over somebody in your life, the reputation that you want to have in the workplace or you know, what your spouse thinks about you or maybe it's money or I don't know what it is for you, but what is that? Sometimes moms, your reputation is so bound up in your kids. You just got to let that go. I don't know what it is. But have faith not to lose it. Have faith not to give it up because look at what you get back. Lost the slave, you got back a brother. Let's pray. Father, help us now to see the truth of our mutual identification with each other in our Savior, our Lord, to, to see each other with these with this eyes of faith as totally one with each other, of having each other's names almost. Help us to live in accordance with that. Help us to treat each other well in accordance with that. Help us to speak each other well in accordance with that. We might bring you glory, oh God. And wherever it is that we need to have this applied, God, I pray that you do it. You do it uh, for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.